0: G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Marn, and today I've got part two of my interview with Jay Sidhu from Vision Surveys Consulting. I'm going to be getting stuck into some really great topics on how to find profitable, subdividable property that stacks up. And we're going to be going into um, some of the finer details on preparing your costings, How does um, that all look as part of an overall feasibility? What sort of profit margin to uh, target and how that feeds into, I guess, your overall strategy for when you might develop something and when you might hold and later develop. And on a final note, we're going to be touching on variations and how to uncover some hidden potential in returns. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. So, where were we? Oh, I've inserted in here about how do you check up on services? Because it's a big one that people leave out of the investigation
1: so with services you want to try and check out with wp you dig and see what's actually in the area Now, very very important to know where your sewer is where the water runs you know is there gas in the area is it a telstra area is it an nbn area and also um, power lines so always remember that high voltage power lines attract easements okay now, those easements may not be on the property at a particular point in time no. when you purchase it, but when
0: you develop it, I'm going to have to create those easements on that development. They're often not. So. I mean, people think, oh, it should be yeah. on the title or it should be somewhere, but no, West, uh, having worked for Western Power and right. I created some of these easements, yeah. it's not done until the subdivision application's in. Yeah, exactly.
1: So. You'll have to go through and create a deed of easement with Western Power. There's an extra cost involved there to and fro in regards to plan drafting and, uh, and actually picking up 3D lines. So it's it's a cost, it's an extra cost, but you will know no. that from the start when looking at it as, the, as um,
0: and just looking and seeing whether or not that's a high voltage power line. Yeah. I mean, I'm always hesitant when high voltage power lines are involved, not because I am an electrical engineer, but I think I'm more aware of the value, the impact that they have on the property so you've really got it i mean i'm selling one at the moment it's got the massive high tension power lines out the front virtually every person that comes up the driveway takes a moment to stare at them you know on paper the value should be you know four hundred thousand compared to others but when they look uh, one look at those power lines and we're dropping price before uh, they even get to the front door and get to the front door It can be factored in and you can take this into account with your appraising of the end product but again i'd prefer not to introduce factors that are going to affect resale because it's it's, you might find a buyer for it in the hot market but in a cold one you're going to struggle too it's not to say that Mm. never because again the power line easement could affect the property but it could be running adjacent to it and not even in the peripheral and not seen. So that could be considerable or worth considering. Exactly. But I'd also be hesitant if it's running right outside and it's the the especially the the higher up the voltage goes, the greater the structures are that then are more noticeable too. So I'm sure you've had to deal with a lot of power lines over years. <laughs> more than I have because I only did engineering for three years and then I was out, so.
1: created my fair share of easements uh, on these ones. Sometimes you just have to make a case where there's some power or should you don't think it's required. More often than not, I see something and I just know. So you want to make that, take that into consideration. Yeah. So the answer to your question, again, is double for your dig and also the obvious visual inspection. If you see something that you don't know what it is, ask the question. that we can actually look into it
0: the other one with services i just wanted to mention before we move on because i got duly reminded of it this month is that if your lot boundary is within 50 meters of the height you know any hv power line a lot of uh, lenders more well all lenders mortgage insurers as far as i'm aware will not approve lending so it basically means that your finance would have to be at eighty percent or less uh, for you know you and also your end purchaser, and that can really start to limit your market if you're trying to sell to first home buyers or all the first home buyers at the moment. You know, I'd fall off my chair if one of them had eighty, had a twenty percent deposit. <laughs> they're all <laughs> they're all coming. <laughs> in. They basically take their amount. They look at the budget that they could have if they. Ah, borrowed at eighty percent and then they say actually I'll borrow higher and get into a better get a better property and they're always at ninety or ninety five percent. So yeah, it just cuts out that market straight away. Speaking about visual inspection again,
1: cost services is an important thing when you're doing visual inspection, but Try and look at the, the slope of the block. You know, it's kind of obvious. You yeah. Don't, we don't, we don't need the actual measurement of what the slope is, but just, is it a slopey block? <laughs> is it a flat block? And also always pay due regard of trees on the property on, especially on the verge to make sure that we're going to be able to put in new crossovers or not. Um, you know, it might actually make the subdivision a battle axe instead of a side by side because you just can't due to the trees. So. That's something that you need to look into. So it's not always just the minimum lot size. It's what's there that's going to help you design it because we obviously want to make sure that we keep and, and you can't touch three trees anyway, but that's, that's great because you want to keep trees. And now with the new policies coming in, you're going to also have to look at uh, the significant trees within the block itself, not just the ones on the verge. Okay. If they, if they get deemed as a significant tree, the local governments will actually flag that in their approvals when it goes back to planning commissions and their their comments to them anyway.
0: I guess some of the other things to visually inspect would be, you know, what conditions the fence is in. That's a classic one that people don't take a look at. Mm -hmm. Adds up in your cost. and, And so when you're starting to put together all these costs, how detailed should you go, do you think?
1: Well, if you're going to, if you're really stretched funds then you want to try and go as detailed as possible but for me whenever i'm looking at a property i can sort of ballpark tell you how much i think a subdivision is going to be and my ballpark is within 10 to 20k now Mm. that's just because you want to be safe and sorry if i was looking at a two lot subdivision i think you mentioned 30 to 50 before i would mention 45 to 60 because you know sometimes it's that's that's the usual figure that it usually comes into you usually 45 that's what i see okay for a very simple one unless if a lot of thing has been done previously so i never say anything less than that number because things pop up and if it was somewhere in a different suburb i just look at it and i go look this is a you know, usually a clay site so i'm going to add a little bit more here because of site works so that it just gives you that that figure in yeah. your head if you can't afford that figure that i'm giving you then or it really stretches you out then that that's a problem now, if you go, oh, okay, cool, now let's work and refine these numbers, yes, the numbers will come down, usually in the
0: right ballpark. And with the, you know, the costs, do you suggest someone itemises them all out? and how to... I, like, I love your ballpark approach yep. because there's no point going more detailed if you can't make it work at a higher level too. So why I do the ballpark figure
1: is just because more often than not, people are just, you know, should I even look at this property? Yeah. Now that ballpark figure is the first one. It's either if I'm flagging something really, really out there from the site itself or the fund. So if they go, look, I can't afford 100000 for a site in, in Cannington and Goswami, then they'll look to a different site. suddenly they go look yeah i'm really interested in this that ballpark figure okay sounds right you know maybe a little bit high can you look into this a little bit more yes we itemize every single thing that is in there because then you're already going to the next step you know i want to actually do this i really want to know what exactly is involved and obviously then by doing that they're also paying for for time yeah so you know ballpark wise i can look at it for about 10 minutes and i can give you and that's no charge for that but when I start actually investing time and doing a proper itemized yeah. costing, then you know, that's where it comes in. So it's more sort of yourself, whether you're committed to it and wanting to spend some money on that start investigation or not. Now, it's very encouraged that you do. But if you've got 100 properties that you're looking at, exactly. then you might want to start looking at which ones are the best ones that you want to go for. And 100 is an exaggeration, but I've had clients that come up to me with 10 properties they go, okay, but which one are you leaning more towards? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We'd be wrapped up in circles if we people didn't actually get things down to a tighter selection before we gave input on things too. So the more educated our listeners are, the more we can help them as well, because then we can actually give our advice when it's truly needed and when it when it matters. And the other thing to note with these figures for subdivision is that you can't go to a bank and say, I want to do a subdivision, can you give me the money? That has to come out of cash and or if you've got a loan facility set up, secured against something else, you could use the money from that facility. But keep in mind that this is not something you can wrap into your overall loan without you know, extra security holding that loan, if that makes sense. Getting things down to the the finer point where you're thinking, yep, th- this might stack up. How, what else should we check to see about to make sure it's feasible? Is there anything else that comes to mind that we haven't touched on?
1: More often than not now, with all well, during the stimulus package anyway, everyone was actually going to look at building the houses. I, I actually am a big believer of thinking of what the end product is going to be and try and make sure that whatever you're selling actually can cater for a good development at the back or or someone to come up and actually be able to build something. So the land and form component is very, very important. So if if it is something that you need to look at, you need to start speaking to your designers, find out, or your architect, find out what you're going to want to build. And more often than not, people were actually trying to stay or retain themselves. After they demolished the property to subdivide, they wanted to live in one of the blocks created. Yeah. And if you're going to live in one of the lots created, you don't want to be creating a crappy block. You know, it needs to be something that you and your missus and the family are going to be really happy with. Yeah, so think of that design component. And, um, and also when you're thinking of design components, tricky subdivisions can be, can be um, solved at times because let's, if you can't figure out how the block's going to work or we need to justify how a subdivision will b- work, the design of the building itself helps that. Okay, it shows and proves that that can work, and without that, people are just going to go. You know, this is this is not a good block. We can't we can't make it work. And when I by people, I mean local governments, planning commission, and others.
0: Okay. Yep. And I guess the other part to that feasibility is working out what your end prices for things are. So it is really hard when someone comes to me and says got i'm looking to subdivide a property what can i get for a three by two and i'm immediately like okay what's the land area at the at the rear if it's on a rear what are you looking to build what spec level so i'm going to come back to them with those kind of questions i can give them ballparks as well as you do and then they can start to see if it's going to work top level before they go deeper yeah they can chat to builders then and also get some ballparks from the builder and and get your input as well so really it's a combination of yourself a builder a a real estate agent and I'd also look at the fallback position of renting out as well here's the rental appraisal what's your plan are you looking at keeping them or selling and I'd still consider the sale aspect even if you are keeping them because you never know when you may have to sell and you want to know that you're building something of value that is worth putting all your money in and getting a return from, you want to return from doing this project if that's your intention, again, getting back to why you're doing it. And one more thing also,
1: don't know whether we've touched this in the previous one or not, but worth highlighting again, title of your property. You want to yeah. know what kind of title it is. Is it a is it a green title lot that you're purchasing? Sometimes the real estate agents can go, yeah, you can subdivide this block, but it's actually a survey strata title. So you've got to remember that with survey stratas, if you work, re subdividing you need the neighbors consents and if you can't get it then it's a little bit of a more tricky situation i'm not going to say impossible but you know obviously with with talks with the neighbors and sometimes they change their mind and the likes but you want to know that up front because if you've got what you're going to pay for your development and also you've got a time frame in your mind that time frame is definitely going to blow out if you don't have consent from the neighbor at the start and trying to get them on board that's going to take time okay so titles very, very important. So look at the titles. What are the encumbrances on there? Uh, you want to look at restrictive covenants on titles. Sometimes you're going to have mm-hmm. lots which are going to say, look, yes, you can, uh, anything that is built on this, this lot has to be brick and tile, has to be. But now there's new methods of construction. Sometimes you don't want brick and tile. But because of that, you are then bounded by brick and tile unless you try and re- remove that restrictive covenant. And removing that restricted covenant is not like you may be aware of the older restricted covenant of, of where they limit only one dwelling on the block. Now, that one yeah. there is a little bit different because the art code has changed that development so the council sort of lifts that when you do a subdivision. But with stuff like, like uh, the house has to be brick and tile and you know get legal advice on this, obviously, but it then bounds you to brick and tile. And if you did want to change it, your lawyer has to be involved they then have to then get in touch with all the people in the surrounding area. I think they have to figure out how many people to, they got to talk to the council. You got to advertise it. You got to try and get that removed. Now, why I'm bringing that up is extra costs, extra time, and potentially not the, the outcome that you want. But more yeah. than not, people, people are okay with written car. but it's, it's, I've definitely seen this example where, um, where someone gets into a building contract with non-brick and tile and later finds out that uh, oh. they needed it to be brick and tile.
0: And they're kind of wondering who's, who's, whose job was it to check this.
1: And exactly. You,
0: you've, got, you've got the title there, the restricted covenant is there, and especially
1: if the builder is going, yeah, there's no issue with this. The end user is going to go, well, the builder who is in charge of building says there's no issue, so they're going to think it's no issue. Why wouldn't they? Mm. Correct? And yep. sometimes you're busy and the like, so you just want to pay attention to that title that you're looking at. Look at the plan, look at the strata plan, the survey yeah, strata plan, or exactly. the deposit plan. Find out what's there. Is there drainage?
0: See if it's or clean. Not you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ask the questions. Yeah,
0: for sure. And what is the difference? I guess ultimately, when we're creating a strata development versus a green title, how does how do we kind of approach? what's required for each well if you're creating anything the basic thing is if you're
1: creating anything with common property it has to be under the strata title that green title does not have common property okay yep. so if you had to go your access where it's common property then it has to be survey strata yep. okay if you're doing subdivision a normal land subdivision or if you're doing it as a build then it has to be built strata green title has to be completely independent that all the services has to be independent. So you've got to have independent power, independent sewer, independent water, everything. Sometimes that lot, when you're actually creating it, you'll need to do more work to get that lot to be independent. And that's where, you know, people have to speak to likes like you and go, Jared, how much extra would you sell this block if it was a green title? And you go, no difference. Well, if it's no difference, then why would you be spending all this extra money to yeah. do it?
0: And it is very area-dependent. And when you're in the more premium areas, people do care a lot more about it. You know, you're gonna get your return from doing it. But if you're out in the lower end areas, someone just says, Can I still build a house on it? Yes. It's <laughs> so true.
1: That is the question. It's the exact same thing. And well, that's the, the main difference yes. there, really. Yeah, but I, I can delve into it a little bit more, but you know, I can always give you links of stuff to look into. But there's this few things with Survey Strata as well. Um, the other difference now with the new title act changes is you want to make sure that if you've got a two lot plus common property and above and below five lots, you want to make sure that you try and do the small scheme exemption um, schedule of bylaw so that you don't have to do annual general meetings. That is a requirement. You're going to, you, you have to do it. If you didn't put that as a small scheme exemption, uh, then you better start having all these annual meetings and having records of it just in case something happens later because someone's going to ask you. Now you may, let's say Jared, for example, you may have a property and you're subdividing it and you're not selling the property, okay? And you've got two lot plus common kind of property. And you go, no, I'm not selling it, Jay. It's all good, I don't want to do the bylaw because why Why would you? But then later when you're going to come and sell, oh, then you're going to have to prove, yeah, it is essential. So then all that costs will come in and you want to try and do it. And why not just have it done at the time of the subdivision and just have it done? Yeah, that's it's just my humble opinion. Uh, it is extra cost, but I, I think it's worth it and I make sure that all my clients uh,
0: understand and do it. Being the one that sells the properties too and knowing the reactions from buyers, it makes such a big difference. You know, it just makes it so much more sellable too. Yeah, yeah. So. And look,
1: at the end of the day, I'm not the one selling the property, but because if I need to put myself in my client's shoe, they need to make sure that the properties able to be sold and I'm going to give pointers to help that yep. happen. That's it. And if any pointers that I, and I, that I give is going to be based on experience as well and what I see out there or maybe anything that I hear from the likes of you and other people that I deal with from time to time and how I would have done it differently potentially. So then you try yeah. and remember that and then share that with people.
0: That's all. So when it comes to the actual profit that you're trying to create, I know there's different benchmarks and people have various targets for what they're trying to create. I've always gone off 15% kind of clear cut and I'd usually do that before taxes are paid and that's return on total expenses. But other people have different benchmarks. I'd probably suggest you never do anything unless it's 10% and above, but at 10% things get very thin on the ground and you're going to have one cost blowout and you're in trouble. I I have preferred to keep it at 20%, but especially in the more difficult markets where the market isn't necessarily going with you. Back in in those times, we'd look for suburbs that were more stable and that you can be more confident in prices. And then you might be willing to forego a bit on your projected margin. But again, it comes down to your confidence factor and how many of these you've done as well. So you may want to target a bit higher on your first and if you've got a personal factors involved like you mentioned earlier if you've if you're creating a a place to live or a home you know you may even do it to break even if it means that you can uh, get into your desired area where there's no other land for sale for instance it it may still be worth doing it to break even so I can, have a blanket thing of
1: 20%, I try and do it, but yes. you're right. It makes it a lot harder in markets like this, but you keep at it, uh, We managed to find another one recently. So hopefully it works out as, as, Excellent. as it, uh, as, as, it's as what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> as it's projected. Yeah. So, but that's just something that I have in terms of this is what I want and so I try and work towards that but if I sometimes think that I need to go a little bit lower just to get it that's fine it's just circumstantial.
0: So in this market it is really tough and it does seem like people are overpaying for sites so I thought I'd touch on how do you Work your numbers and your overall strategy when everything that you're looking at may not have that sort of margin. What choices do? What are some of the factors in that? Do you think? Well, I've actually stuck my ground here because, like I just said before, like
1: yeah. um, went to a couple of auctions where I just went, "No, I'm not going to do it." You're walking away. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I'm walking away because uh, the the thing is that some. Okay,
0: we've got some investment strategies where we're going to do long-term holds. And yep. that's fine. If it's a long-term hold, I guess you make sure that it it stacks up and that it can actually be developable. And yeah. the numbers yeah. might not quite be there. It might be like a 10% margin now, but the market's moving up. So you get that quality property, you know what yeah. can be developed. You've checked with Jay, it fully checks out, yeah. you know, you're yeah. happy yeah. that it can yeah. be done. The worst thing that I see people do is overpay for something that can't ever be done and then... They only work it out later when they go to do it yeah so, yeah
1: i the ones the long-term holds usually have rental that and they have leases in place that are going to go for a while so the money is still coming in it's um yep. you you have that strategy in place but for anything that that i want to do personally which is in the short term i make sure that it what you know the numbers are actually i'm comfortable with those numbers if they're not then i'm just yeah. not comfortable with it what i'm also doing uh, you know, also building on top of it, the, the question about, you know, do I build or do I not build? Yeah. So that's the other thing. If you can't sometimes get that figure that you want, then suddenly by adding that build component, it? Yeah, point. yes, you need more capital, but that build component comes in and, uh, and suddenly that it makes it more viable. So you've yeah. got to make that option. It's not for everyone. You know, I remember when I first started, that could never be in
0: my mind at all. But sometimes with the build, like you may think it's a bigger project building, and it is, like, let's, not, let's not pretend otherwise, but your builder can also do a fair bit of the work and running around if you include things in the building contract. And I would still get the titles created side by side as we've touched on in a previous episode and get you involved in doing that. Yeah. And sometimes the builder can de-risk things by actually giving you fixed costs for things when you might not have a handle on all the costs yourself, too, so that that's another advantage for someone starting out. Well, yeah.
1: So just just review all the contracts. You know, what, who are you talking to? What what's your discussion with them? What is your end goal with them? They're going to come back with what they think you're suited for, but obviously, make sure that you review all of those stuff because sometimes, also, some of my clients have come back to me saying that, "Oh, I thought this was going to be done, but it's not." You know, yep. Yes, we had the discussion, but it's not in writing. So you know, it's yeah, just pointing it out. Just make sure that you're you're aware what you're going to be getting. where the gaps are. Yeah, yeah, where the gaps are. Yeah,
0: and you know we've spoke about I guess some of your strategies, whether you're looking at a long term hold or something to develop straight away. And I mean, I touched on a property earlier that the coding wasn't known to the agent. So if you find some of these hidden. Properties with potential that can really take the returns up a notch and get them to where you need them to be. Is there any kind of things you might add to uncovering potential that isn't known? No, that's
1: a, make sure that you know the zoning. And yeah. Jared's right. Sometimes you just, you just, you, you seriously see, like I think I saw an ad the other day in iLuca actually, the agent just said it's not subdivisible, but it actually is. So, you know, that's, I didn't want to get that blow because at the moment it's I do not think that I wanted to at that time, but a client of mine was looking at it. And yeah. I said, yeah, it is, I can subdivide it if you if you try and get that through for me. And it also works the other way. You the know, changes can also hinder. So you think you can subdivide. Everything shows that it can, but you're not really in the know of what changes are coming in. And uh, they suddenly change offsets of buildings and suddenly the design of that block. Remember I mentioned before, you want to make sure that the block that you're designing can actually cater for a good dwelling. Now, if setback requirements change in the likes, and something that building at the rear is going to be really tight and people don't know what to do with it, that hinders buyers from Definitely. this particular block. So do check all that. Uh, and I mentioned that, can't delve into it too much, but go and check some recent changes in the city of Joondalup just to make sure that you're on top of, of the new changes that have just come in or they're trying to implement. For yeah. sure.
0: And what would you say as a final um, touch on to how to use... Or, I guess, look at variations that might be possible. I see people often assuming they can get um, various variations through when, you know, there is conditions that need to be met and it needs to be approached with experts. So, my my take on variations and my
1: clients are well aware of this all the time. No matter how small the variation, um, a variation is a variation. So, that means that you are taking the risk of potentially it not going through. And even though if we're just talking about an average variation of 2% rather than 5, you know, you've kind of, you've got that allowable 5%, you can't increase more than 5. But anything below 5 doesn't mean you're automatically, oh, great, yeah, it's below it's 5, slim, so it's no. going to be 100%. No, below 5 or 5, it's still going to be treated as 5, okay? Just like it's as 5. And you've got to explain why this should go through all right? There's, you need to reason and you need to show why it should be subdivided. And that's within that three-month process. So whenever a client goes, oh, okay, well, so you can't guarantee this for me. I said, no, I can't guarantee this for you, but I can tell you what the potential of getting it through is and my thoughts on it before we go in. Because I don't want to take on a project that I know is uh, is 100% not going to get through because there's a lot of money at stake for clients. And I yeah. want my clients to come back and do more developments. It's not
0: one-time thing yeah yeah you definitely start comes back to your, you definitely comes yeah. back to your risk profile as well doesn't it if you're exactly. willing to accept the plan b that you won't get your subdivision and you know look at does this property actually stack up as a purchase you know for a, exactly what are you going to do if it doesn't you know basically exactly. So exactly exactly and look education is a big part of that
1: and you know, you're a big advocate of that and i like that that's why we're tuning this And I try and educate any of my clients who ask me a question all the time, try to put out some video content for my followers and LinkedIn, yeah, classes.
0: Well, people do want some more, I know you're a busy man and you said we needed to wrap and we've already gone way past the time that you gave me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you so much. But um, what should people do if they uh, do need some more help and education from you?
1: Well, look, um, get in touch with me and you know, my details are with Jared there or, the um, I've, also, I've also restarted uh, my mas- our masterclass series um, due to a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails. Um, I stopped it because of COVID, and now it's you know with with the higher demand, I'm starting it back now, but with a more of a rebrand. With uh, uh, and it's called Land and Form Development Masterclass. So it, and it's more of a what I mentioned before. You want to think of the development holistically land component plus the form component because you can't build something good on a block i don't think that block should be created at all (laughs) okay or or the other way around you know you want to you're trying to build something you want to try and see how to title it as well so the same thing so that's in collaboration uh with my architect friend uh Boyko from project architecture and we take on this class monthly and um i'll give you the waitlist yeah
0: we'll pop the link in there and i understand that it is pretty oversubscribed so jump on the waitlist and jay will keep you updated when the next ones are posted but thank you so much for your time today i i know how hard it's been to pin you down and uh really appreciate it though no all good mate always a pleasure to talk until next time yep chat again soon see you mate
1: see you mate Bye. Bye. bye